Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. our world today it is sunday yes it is that's all i got <laughs> welcome <laughs> that's it welcome everyone welcome to sunday <laughs> even though for you it's wednesday because that's when the episodes come out yep i guess i could start out like i know we normally close with this but i <laughs> pardon my dog perhaps today we could start out with a shout out oh that'd be because right we got the nicest dm from one of our followers and their name is chelsea and we just wanted to give a shout out to chelsea because their message was adorable and we appreciate that you're liking this because as we've said in the past this is really just something that amanda and i we're passionate about and we love to know that you all are passionate about it too and that you're enjoying what we're doing yeah so shout out to chelsea on instagram for her very sweet dm yeah thank you chelsea honestly your message actually brought tears to my eyes a little bit (laughs) it it really is touching to know that people not only are listening but also find me and marina funny Mm. (laughs) you know yes we we always thought we were the only ones but turns out other people do too (laughs) Yeah, we kind of were like, we're probably the only people who find us funny. <laughs> Turns out other people do too. So it's heart- yeah. it's heartwarming to know that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So today's episode is going to be about Phineas Gage and a little bit about the frontal lobe. It is a Curiosity Door episode today. Now, for those of you who don't know, our Curiosity Door episodes are scientific episodes that relate back to Stranger Things. So this week is going to be about Phineas Gage, who, if you don't remember, is mentioned by Mr. Clark. It's talked about by Mr. Clark in the Pollywog. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's definitely some foreshadowing going on in his lesson. But we thought, yeah, definitely. But we thought it would be interesting to delve a little deeper into this case and why it's so interesting and why it's even relevant to Stranger Things at all. So buckle up, everybody. Today we are learning about the brain and what can happen if you mess with it. Bob? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm ready to learn about Bob. No, it's not Bob. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) But it's going to be a real interesting one today. So... For context, I have learned a lot about lobotomies, which is a super weird sentence to say. Just in general? Yeah, because I like listening to podcasts about like, well, I listened to the Dark History podcast with Bailey Sarian. Mm. I can't remember if she's done a lobotomy episode, but I've listened to a couple other podcasts where it was definitely talked about. I also listened to the epi- or the podcast Lore by Aaron Mankey. 
And Mm -hmm. he's awesome. He did a whole episode on lobotomies. And there's even an Amazon Prime show based on his podcast. Ooh, yes, there is. There is. And it's not my fave because it's a little like over-dramatized for me. But I did watch the episode about lobotomies and it's super interesting. So if you're bored and you have Amazon Prime video, definitely go check it out because it's very cool. So without further ado, let's get into Phineas Gage the frontal lobe, and what it has to do with Stranger Things. I'm ready. I'm ready too. So let's start out with a little story. So in 1968, a couple who collected vintage photographs, just for fun, they found a daguerreotype photo, which if you don't know, is one of the first formats of photos, and they were printed on copper sheets, like a thin copper sheet. Oh. Yeah, pretty cool. I didn't know that. They found this photo of a man holding what they thought was a whaling harpoon. In 2007, Beverly Wilgus, who was the wife in that couple, she uploaded a photo of this daguerreotype to Flickr. So this was, what, over 30 years later? Yeah, and like not that long ago. Yes, almost 40 years later. She uploaded this photo to Flickr and she titled it One-Eyed Man with Harpoon. Quickly, people who knew about whaling for whatever reason, uh, they quickly were like, no, this is not a harpoon that he's holding. It's a tamping rod that he's holding. And another commenter then suggested that it may be a photo of Phineas Gage. And upon further inspection, they were correct. That's wild. I know. What? What do you mean? This couple had accidentally stumbled upon and kept for 30 years what would later be confirmed as the first known image of Phineas Gage. That is crazy. I know. It wasn't confirmed until 2009. And then there was a second photo of him confirmed in 2010. That his family now has, um, but it's wild. So it was actually confirmed due to the inscription on his tamping rod that he's holding in the photo. What is a tamping rod? We will get to it. Um, I will will explain (laughs) what the tamping rod is. Okay. But yeah, the tamping rod was ultimately what changed Phineas's life, but he liked to pose for photos with it. So I'll tell you a little more about it. But I just thought it was so wild that the very first photo was found while we were in high school, not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Right? I, I can't even, like, yeah, conceptualize that. I know. Okay. So pretty, pretty wild. So about Phineas Gage, who, by the way, Beverly Wilgus had never heard of when she found this photo and when it was identified. So Phineas Gage, he was born sometime in 1823. The date has never been confirmed, unfortunately, because it was so long ago. But he was born in... I know, 1823, a really long time ago. In He was born in New Hampshire. So he was born um, to a family that I believe had a farm, and he was just a Northeast boy. So then in September of 1848, when he was about 25, Phineas was working on a Vermont railroad. That was his job. He was a rail- railroad worker, and they were actually building a railroad that's still in use today. And he was getting ready to blast some rocks out of the way in order to build more railroad and so basically how it worked back then which i'm really hoping is different now but i i don't know anything about (laughs) railroad construction but back then what they would do is they would literally just like bury explosives in the earth and and then cover it with like clay and sand and stuff and then the rod would be used to kind of like pat it down so it was like packed in tightly so to like tamp something down is to like pat it down kind of mm-hmm. um so the like comp- like com- yeah. like compress it like, yes okay. like compress it i guess so it would blow up better i suppose um <laughs> yeah super safe and when he did that he 
turned around to speak to a fellow co-worker. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's going to get bad. He turned around to speak to a fellow co-worker. The tamping rod, because he wasn't looking, sparked against a rock, which again, how can this, like, why does this happen so easily? It sparked against a rock and it caused the explosion to take place prematurely while he was standing right there. And it sent the tamping rod, sorry, up through the left side of his face and into his brain. So did it come out the other side? It sure did. Okay. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> okay. So just a warning from here. It's going to get a little gross. I tried to keep it as little graphic as possible, but it's not great. So, so uh, Marina, you can use your, your visual aid here. I don't know if you've looked at the... I put the first two photos in the visual aid of I'm seeing Mr. that, yes. Mr. Gage. I th- he was pretty handsome, I think. He was a handsome dude. Yeah. And... Dapper. He was. Then if you scroll to the second page, it will show you... The way that the tamping rod made its way through his skull. This is a 3D conceptualization of what happened here. It it was almost it was almost vertical. Yeah, yeah. So like up through his jaw, nasal passage, eye socket, brain. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I I was expecting it to be more horizontal. This is very vertical up through his mouth almost yeah it's like almost straight up through like his cheekbone and through like the left side of his forehead basically um did it go up under his chin like was it like like his whole chin no they said in in what i read that it was more like through his cheek like it started okay like, over here okay. um so yeah luckily it wasn't too too much of his face but yeah it it uh went into his brain so that's a problem. Okay. So his coworkers obviously saw this happen. They reacted quickly. Thank goodness. Even in 1848, they reacted quickly and they laid him on his back. He convulsed briefly and then he got up and walked to the cart so his buddies could bring him to the doctor. This man never even lost consciousness. Never lost consciousness. The brain is a fascinating organ, right? isn't it? It's so wild. This man was basically fine he was walking i mean he wasn't fine obviously but he was walking (laughs) he he was still talking and in fact the doctor who first responded to gage's accident said and i quote and warning it's a teeny bit gross uh he said when i drove up he said and he meaning gage said doctor here is business enough for you business enough for you and then he said Uh, The doctor said, I first noticed the wound upon the head before I alighted from my carriage, the pulsations of the brain being very distinct. Horrifying. The top of the head appeared somewhat like an inverted funnel, as if... Please. I know, I'm so sorry. It's getting gross. Uh, As if some wedge-shaped body had passed from below upward. That's what happened. Mr. Gage, during the time I was examining his wound, was relating the manner in which he was injured to the bystanders. I did not believe Mr. Gage's statement at the time, but thought he was deceived. Mr. Gage persisted in saying that the bar went through his head. Mr. G got... Hold on. Miss G. No, Mr. G. Okay, this is the gross part, so sorry. Um, this is the gross part? Yeah, it gets... We're only coming upon it, it now? It gets a little worse. Okay. Mr. G got up and vomited. The effort of vomiting pressed out about half a teacup full of the brain, which fell... fell up, what which, do you mean? Which fell upon the floor. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
a teacup full of brain what are we doing today how, what is this i just need to know how, how did it how what is the brain viscous <laughs> i don't think it's supposed i'm sorry to be. i okay like, he how do you just like you as the person this is happening to see your brain fall out on the floor and not just like immediately die like <laughs> wow this man is very very hardy he sure that he just like yeah. Snaps for Phineas Gage. I know. Really (laughs) impressive. So after he was stabilized, another doctor had this to say. Mind clear, constant agitation of his legs, being alternately Mm. retracted and extended, says he... Interesting. Quote, says he does not care to see his friends as he shall be at work in a few days. (laughs) What? All right. NBD off topic but it's just so funny that we're talking about this at the same time that this tragedy has happened in the nfl with this yes, football player yes who there's been all this controversy surrounding is it reasonable for the football players to return to work with like it's just it's like similar it is right in a way like i can't imagine what life was like over back at the railroad they were probably like uh right I'm not going near that camping i don't want to go to work like, yeah doing okay that. so all right so he's 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 his legs are moving yes he's doesn't want to go to work because nor he doesn't want to see his friends because yeah. it's a bad look yeah and and he's he doesn't want to see his friends because he's like what for i'm gonna go back to work in a couple days whatever okay. i'll see them then so all right amazing okay he threw up yep his, he convulsed his brains fell out a little bit his brain fell out a teacup full okay Just a all right and he's he's still he's still going he's still all going right. so only 10 weeks after this accident he was released from the hospital. Now, mind you, during that time, he did kind of go in and out of kind of like a comatose state a little bit. Like he did he did struggle a bit. That's why he was in the hospital for a full 10 weeks. But they eventually stabilized him. And after 10 weeks, he left the hospital and he went to go live with his family in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So when he went back to his family, it was reported that he only had slight memory impairments at the time. And his mother even said that only really like people who knew him well would notice but strangers probably wouldn't even know anything had ever happened to him other than his eye being missing because he he did lose that eye his left eye i believe after that he was he was able to do a little bit of light work on the farm he was sort of regaining his physical strength but for the most part he was kind of okay i i I have a question (laughs) yes what is the question how did they remove the rod you know I don't know. There wasn't a lot of detail on that. I'm guessing because it was in 1848, so there's probably not a super close record of that. But from my guess, uh, they just pulled it out. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Don't know. All right. But okay. Yeah, Mr. Gage. He just kind of went back to life and was like, "Yeah, whatever. Here's a rod in my head. Whatever." It's it's got to be something, and I'm sure you'll talk about it, but like. How, like not removing something can sometimes be what you have to do yeah right right like i i did wonder if they just kind of like cut off the excess and sort of just left it in there i don't really know i couldn't really find what they did with it but um or actually no they definitely did remove it because it i believe it's on display at a museum somewhere yeah he's he's walking around with it yeah. he's photographed with that's it. true he did kind of carry it around after that for a while um yeah okay okay there's that guy all right anyway onward so in 1849 
you know, a year after this accident. Okay. Gage was unfortunately not offered his job at the railroad again because he was eager to go back. I don't know why, but he he wanted to. But his boss said why he wasn't able to go back. Here's what he said. The equilibrium or balance, so to speak, between his intellectual faculties and animal propensities seems to have been destroyed. He is fit. Okay. Yeah. So he is fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, which was not previously his custom, manifesting but little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires, at times. Interesting. At times obstinate, yet capricious and vacillating, devising many plans of future operations, which are no sooner arranged than they are abandoned, in turn for others appearing more feasible. A child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations, he has the animal passions of a strong man. Previous to his injury, although untrained in the schools, he possessed a well-balanced mind and was looking upon or was looked upon by those who knew him as a shrewd, smart businessman, very energetic, and persistent in executing all of his plans of operation. In this regard, his mind was radically changed, so decidedly that his friends and acquaintances said he was no longer Gage. Wow, there it is. There it is, no longer Gage. No longer Gage. Yes, which is what Mr. Clark referred to him as in that little clip where he was teaching about it. So, So, yeah, his mind changed quite a lot after this accident so even though he was like physically mostly back to normal his mind was kind of never the same which makes sense he was stabbed in the brain yeah yeah so that's pretty bad but he went on to become this is the most random part of his history he became a stagecoach driver in the country of chile in 1852 why i don't know but just needed a ch- yeah, change of scenery. He just went down to Chile, started driving stagecoaches. Now, he was driving pretty intense routes, about 100 miles a day, which in, wow. in yeah, which in 18, 1852 took like 13 hours a day. So he was he was driving really long distances. And by driving, I'm pretty sure he was just like, you know, whipping some horses. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, like giddy up. Yeah, that's what he was doing for 13 hours okay. a day. Yeah. <laughs> So after about 1859, he ended up moving back to his family's because his health did start to decline, unfortunately. In 1860, in February of 1860, he began having epileptic seizures. And that is unfortunately what caused his death on May 18th, 1860. So, yeah, so he did end up living quite a few years after his accident. What is that? Was it 22 years? Yeah, I believe so. 22 years. Because it was 48? Yeah, 48 to 60. Wait, I can't count. So that's 12, that's 12 years. years. Yeah, sorry, we can't count. We are bad, <laughs> at, so math bad at math on this podcast. <laughs> I'm bad at math everywhere. <laughs> True. So his um his skull actually remains on display at the Warren Anatomical Museum at Harvard in Boston, Massachusetts. Interesting. I would love to go. Me too. And it was later concluded, based on the CT scans of the actual skull, because we have the technology now. Granted, this was in like the 90s. So they did a CT scan and determined that the bulk of the damage was incurred to his left frontal lobe. So at the time, obviously, that this accident occurred, there was no imaging whatsoever because the technology simply did not exist. So doctors had no idea the extent to which this part of his brain was was damaged wow yeah they had no clue what exactly happened to his brain they were just like he had a metal rod stuck through his brain and he's just 
I don't know. We're not. We don't know. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We okay. don't know. So now we know what happened to him. So you know the frontal lobe damage is likely what caused the <clears> epilepsy <throat> later in his life. But you know, wow. obviously it's not confirmed. But yeah, it's also intriguing how he. It, it almost had like a like a progression. Like okay, so he he eventually started to suffer symptoms, but like years after the accident. Right. Like he didn't start out having epileptic seizures. He that that manifested later on. Yeah, yeah. So like he did have a couple of seizures throughout his life yeah. due to this injury, but he never actually developed like full on epilepsy until the year he died. Okay. Yeah. And just as a side note, there like I mentioned earlier, there was an inscription on the bar that mm-hmm. went through mm-hmm. his brain, and this is what it said: "This is the bar that was shot through the head of Mr. Phineas P. Gage at." Cavendish, Vermont, September 14th, 1848. Pretty sure I said 13th above, but the inscription said 14th. He fully recovered from the injury and deposited this bar. Yes, it says all of this. And deposited this bar at, in the Museum of the Medical College of Harvard University. So the, the tamping rod... I believe is there or it might be a replica now. I don't know if mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if um I believe he donated the the bar to a museum at some point in his life and then ended up actually taking it back. There was a rumor that he was buried with it, but I do believe there is a replica. Oh. Yeah. I believe there's a replica at the museum now. Okay, let's go. Yeah, I know. I feel I kind of want to go. It's only in Boston. Hey, that's not far. Yeah. And as a side note, he is well, you know, most of him other than his skull is buried at I believe Cypress Hill Cemetery, which is right outside of San Francisco, which I am visiting next month. Ooh, go! See I know him. I kind of want to go. You yeah, should. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see if Vicky is down to travel to a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna see if I can go see his resting place. That would be pretty cool. That would be yes. So. Now all of that, that is uh, said about Phineas Gage. (laughs) Now that we are here where we are. We we are here. (laughs) And uh, so the case of Phineas Gage has kind of persisted and been impactful for this long because it taught us a lot about the brain. Because as I'm sure you can imagine, it's kind of unethical to study what happens to people when you drive a stake through their frontal lobe. Unless it just happens. You become a... Right. You, yeah, you can't just do that and then be like, we are accepting applicants (laughs) for procedures. Who would like to volunteer? To study. Who would like to volunteer? Like, no, you'll probably be fine. Phineas Gage was fine. You'll be fine. True. (laughs) So it taught us a lot about the brain and what happens when you damage the frontal lobe. Well, there's a a lot that can happen when you damage the frontal lobe, and some doctors decided we should start doing this on purpose. Hence, the lobotomy was born. All right, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, Yeah. it's about to get even darker. So, if you haven't heard... How can you get darker than impaling somebody in in their, their, their face head? Uh, well, the impaling is going to continue, but, you know, at least Phineas Gage's was an accident. So I feel like lobotomies are a little bit darker than that. Okay. Um, I see what you mean. So the lobotomy was born, granted, not directly from Phineas Gage's accident, but quite a while later. But it was after, you know, some other notable people in history had had some brain injuries and it it was just discovered that 
severing um, nerves to the prefrontal cortex or the frontal lobe could really help people with mental illnesses. Because of Here we because are. of course, what would history be if we weren't abusing people with mental illnesses? Back to this yep. again. It's always back to this, right? It's just a different method. Are we are we wiping people's yeah. brains yeah. or are we you know Yeah, it gets bad. So this well, first I'll tell you what exactly the frontal lobe is responsible for. So your frontal lobe and prefrontal cortex, so the, the prefrontal cortex is part of the frontal lobe, and it lies pretty much square in the middle of your forehead, uh, right above your eyes, the prefrontal cortex. How big is it? I don't think it's very large. I feel like it's kind of just like the space between your eyebrows, sort of, like just like okay. in a circle there. Your T-zone. Yes, your T-zone. <laughs> 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 yes, that is where it is, pretty much. So... Okay. This is part of the brain responsible for planning, decision making, expressing your personality, social behaviors, sometimes speech and language, and unfortunately, major executive functioning also lies in the prefrontal cortex. It is sometimes referred to as a mental sketch pad. It's sort of like, hmm. you know, when you're going throughout your day and you're like, okay, next I got to do this thing and next I got to do this thing. You're sort of keeping a mental log in your brain, and that's the pre sure. prefrontal cortex working. So a lobotomy is a surgery that severs the connection between the free prefrontal cortex and the rest of the brain. So this was developed mainly for people with severe mental illness, and unfortunately it was usually performed many times without these people's consent or even their knowledge that it was happening. So the idea you know, going into this was basically that it was kind of going to be like a reset for the prefrontal cortex. So if we can kind of separate this piece of the brain that's responsible for, you know, maybe someone who is manic and uh, acting out in public, then maybe that will calm them down or it will mute that behavior. So you have to remember that mental health medication did not exist yet when mm -hmm. this was kind of coming about. That's why it kind of seemed like a great option. And then also remember that this is going to take place in the 30s and 40s, so the 19 I was going to Yeah, ask, 1930s yeah. and 40s. So mental illness was a huge taboo. It was it just looked really bad for your family if you had somebody who was mentally ill, and so you wanted to kind of shut that down as soon as you could, which is really tragic. So again, I'm going to just issue a warning for the rest of this episode. I think that's it's fair. It's just it's bad. It's all bad, okay? So the original method for performing a lobotomy granted this was developed outside of the united states but doesn't matter still awful the original method for performing a lobotomy was to drill a small hole in the side of your skull and pour alcohol into it and then basically you would shake your head a little bit flail it around and then they would stick a hollow needle into the hole to sever the nerves yay this is giving just you know other horrible people and content yep. this is a this is a little this is a little jeffrey Dahmer. it is right because that yes that was something that he did unfortunately yes yeah, yeah. like exactly that actually so also remember there was kind of not too much in the way of anesthesia back then so yeah so then in 1936 the first lobotomy was performed in the united states by a doctor named walter freeman on a 63-year-old housewife named Alice Hood Hammett, she was believed to be struggling with anxiety and depression. And it is important to note that about 80% of lobotomies performed in the United States were on women. 80%. Mm. 
So the surgery was considered to be a success, although Alice died five years later. But yeah, it was a success. Okay. Great. Success. Su- so, success. So yeah. So Freeman, this doctor, he was like, hold up. The people are loving this lobotomy thing, right? How can I get it done faster? What do you mean the, the people, people love are it. loving? They're like, The people are rallying yes. around. They Because it was like, it was keeping their loved ones out of institutions because they weren't acting out, I suppose. It, it was sort of just turning them into wow. to zombies, essentially. So they were able to continue existing in polite society. However, what was not being told to them is that these people would essentially need 24-7 care for the rest of their lives because they could no longer perform executive functions. The shortcuts, historically, mm-hmm. that humans have tried to use to cure mental illness, yeah. like everything from like, okay, we talked about the demonic possession, like yes. all of the religion, like yeah, shortcuts, 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 because nobody knew how to handle right. those who were mentally ill. Right. And at the same time, we still had very limited knowledge on the brain. So we were like okay, we know about the frontal lobe and what it does. Let's run with that. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. So Freeman, you know, he sees that this is kind of a growing field and he's like, how can we get this done faster so we could do even more lobotomies? Well, he learned that after trying on cadavers and stuff, so hey, he did do his research. And hopefully the bodies were donated. Yeah ethically so true they probably regardless yeah didn't even think about that but basically he decided that an ice pick like instrument it wasn't exactly an ice pick but it was kind of like one similar yes okay uh could be used instead so here's how the transorbital lobotomy was born which is better known colloquially as an ice pick lobotomy here's how it actually worked and marina if you would like uh in your visual aid there is an image of these instruments I'm I'm looking at them. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It's pretty, pretty yeah. terrible. It's not it's not good. Yep. So here's how it worked. The patient was rendered unconscious by electric shock or just given local anesthetic. You know, like uh what they give you at the dentist when you get a filling. Easy peasy. <laughs> Easy peasy. Or they just electrocute you into unconsciousness. <laughs> Yikes. Great. So then the quote unquote ice pick like instrument was shoved right above their eye usually the left eye, I believe, using a literal hammer, literal hammer, it was shoved into the bone right above the eye and then wiggled back and forth to sever the connections from the prefrontal cortex. And this procedure took about 10 minutes total. 10 minutes! There was a series... I'm sorry, I keep <laughs> no, doing this. No, it's good. It, it totally was. It was Ryan Murphy's iteration of Ratchet uh-huh. on Netflix. Because he he took he isolated just Nurse Ratchet from one floor of the cuckoo's oh, cool. nest and just made her her own series her show and I'm I didn't finish it but I'm like ninety nine percent sure the doctors in that show or the doctor in that show were doing this it was like like race against the clock lobotomies yep. like how quickly can we perform Ugh, lobotomies it's horrifying. Yeah, so it was reported that at least one third of patients woke up docile, compliant with childlike behavior and sometimes completely mute. But hey, their mental illness was cured and your family could stop being gossiped about. Thank God. Okie dokie. So there were this guy, Walter Friedman, Friedman, I keep wanting to say Friedman. I don't know why. Friedman, 
He started traveling across the country in a car that he called, and I am not kidding, the Lobotomobile. I knew that's what it was before you said yeah. it. Yeah. I mean... It, because it sounds... Makes sense. It, it, it does. Lobotomobile? Yeah. It's kind of clever. I hate it, but I can't, it's clever. I, I don't know if I can be mad right? at it, but it's, like, it, it's, it's horrible, but it's, it's like also sort of like... Clever. The, all right dude i i get it okay all right oh, so stop was, okay <laughs> so this man was traveling the country in his lobotomobile performing somewhere around 3500 to 5000 of these procedures i i don't know how long the span was i want to say it was about 20 years span yeah 5000 lobotomies oh okay yeah. okay so one of his youngest patients ever was a 12 year old boy named howard dully Freeman said, I told Howard what I'd done to him, and he took it without a quiver. He sits silently, grinning most of the time and offering nothing. Sir, you just made a haunted child. That is so scary. But wait, it gets weirder. How? Howard, I don't know if he's still alive now, but in 2005, when he was 56, he spoke to NPR, did an interview with NPR. This, this, yeah, wow. this guy was still alive and he did have the ability to speak. So that's cool. Um, okay. And he said that he's always felt different and wondered if there was something missing from his soul. And he said, I have no memory of the operation. I never have had the courage to ask my family about it. It's horrible. Yeah. So that's pretty sad. But luckily, um, you know, Howard went on to continue living. There were around 500 people over the years who died Due to Freeman's lobotomies. And that could be either during the operation or, like, shortly after due to complications and infections and things like that. Yeah, by the way. Oh, my God. They, I mean, infections, right? Like, they're just sticking. No antiseptic. No. Nothing. No sterilization. No. They're probably using the same ice pick over and over in these people's brains. Yeah. Pretty gross. So, one of the most famous lobotomies that many people actually don't even know occurred because American politics like to cover up things was the lobotomy of Rosemary Kennedy, the sister of John F. Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. It was said that... That's... Yeah, right? It was said that she was a rebellious child and had mood swings. And we can't have that if we want our big brother to run for president, right? That's not a good look. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. in 1941... This sounds so recent. 1941. It doesn't sound that long. Right. It's not that long. It's... I mean, yeah, my, my grandmother was born three years after that. Like... Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. She was taken by her father to see Dr. Freeman, who was kind of famous already at the time. And Dr. Freeman diagnosed her with what he called agitated depression. Don't know what that is, but okay. And performed the lobotomy right then and there without her mother's knowledge, without anything. Okay. He was just like, let's just get rid of that right away. Snip it in the bud. Yep. And mind you, Rosemary was 23 already when this happened. So I don't know how exactly they like tricked her into doing this without her knowledge or consent, but they did. And yeah. So almost immediately afterwards, she could no longer speak. And it was said that her mental capacity was that of a toddler. She was unfortunately institutionalized. It is just like carelessness like gross yes. carelessness with with like human life like yes i know it's wild to see like just throughout history how how much has changed but how little has changed in the way that we view people with mental illness yeah it's it's, it's, bad. it's um so bad so yeah after that she was unfortunately institutionalized for the rest of her life 
She died in 2005 at the age of 86. So she did live a, a, quite a long life. Um, and <laughs> as I mean, I, I'm, I'm not laughing because it's funny, but it's sort of like um, a weird version of karma i feel like she was actually the first of the kennedy siblings to die of natural causes oh no wild so yeah as i mentioned over the years there were tons and tons of she looks completely like a different human i know being. yeah there's a before and after of her you know i put some bef- another before and after in there too that's kind of like they would use these photos of you know people looking kind of uh disheveled and and manic in the first photo and then in the second photo they'd be smiling and looking calm and stuff but the photo can't really tell you that these people can barely perform daily functions a lot of the time so the one of her in the hat is the after or no i believe that's the before that is the before right and then the second one where she looks like she's now a child that is the after is the after and then the the one above that i would assume the first one is the before the before yeah but she looks better in the after. Yeah, she does look better in the after, but I'm imagining her her mental state wasn't great. Yeah. But yeah, with with Rosemary's photo, she looks be- much better in the before. She looks happy and content, but I think that the Kennedy family just found her to be rebellious and unruly yeah. or something. Yeah, I, I believe it was honestly, this woman just spoke her mind. Like she was just yeah. a, a, a strong woman and they didn't like that. right so she was unfortunately permanently damaged from the procedure and there is a photo of her later in life here i see yeah and i mean some i don't know who it is here visiting her but somebody was visiting her and um you know she she looks as happy as one can be i suppose but yeah she unfortunately was permanently damaged and it's really sad that we don't talk about it like we you know just the Kennedys are such a prolific family in this country and mm-hmm. so many people don't even know that they just like swept his sister under it's the rug. It's a dirty yeah, secret. Yeah, it is. It's 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 giving, I'm sorry, pet cemetery. Uh, yeah. Which is her sister is awful. Severely handicapped mm-hmm. and mentally ill and she's just kept in a room. It's so awful. Or in that movie and book. Or if you've ever read the short story The Scarlet Ibis. Oof. I don't know if I have. Oh, it's awful. They teach that story to freshmen. I had to teach that story to freshmen. And it is about wow. a, a br- an older brother who has a younger sibling who is severely disabled. And he is jealous, essentially, and um, because his parents give the child so much attention. And he ends up uh, maybe accidentally killing the brother. It, it's really dark. It's really, really dark. But again, just another example of the way that we view mental illness in this country. Awful. Mm-hmm. So in 1951... Speaking of all the the unfortunate um, fatalities of these surgeries, in 1951, one patient actually died during the surgery when Freeman stopped to pose for a photo. Yeah. Yeah. This man could not resist the attention. It was only going to take 10 minutes anyway. Right? He couldn't have just waited? But thank goodness, in the late 1950s, a new mental health medication, the first one, came out called Thorazine. And it was approved mm-hmm. in the United States in 1955, making lobotomies seem like a less tempting option. I don't know how they were tempting in the first place, but so luckily okay. Thorazine came along and people were like, oh, this is this is a better option, not a lobotomy. So by the 70s, lobotomies were pretty much banned everywhere. Oh, except the United States, where they are still not banned. Lobotomies are no. not banned? Nope. Are there any recent lobotomies? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I didn't. I didn't. Look I'm it just up, wondering, like, when was the last one? When was the last one? You know, 
perform. I don't know. Let's Google it because I'm I'm very curious. I I didn't look that up. I'm gonna look it up right now. The last recorded lobotomy in the United States was performed by this guy. This guy still, Doctor Walter Freeman, in 1967. Okay. And ended in the death of the person on whom it was performed. Oh, that's right. I did read this. And he lost, he didn't lose his license, but he lost his ability to perform surgeries after that. Okay. And it's funny because One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I'm pretty sure came out in 1962. Wow. So they were still doing them at this time. Yeah. Which makes sense why this book is what it is. But yeah. Okay. So as with many of the things that we've talked about um, throughout history in which you know, people with mental illness or otherwise minoritized groups are exploited, there is always a danger of eugenics. Because, yeah, if you don't know, eugenics is the practice and or belief that we should eradicate people mm-hmm. who are not, um, you know, 100% healthy or maybe have mental illness or maybe even are not white. So... There's always this danger of, of that kind of thing when you're turning these people catatonic. You know, when, when you're given the power to basically make these people catatonic, it's a very slippery slope. So mm-hmm. in 1977, then-President Jimmy Carter actually tried to get lobotomies banned, citing the danger of eugenics. That was actually one of his biggest concerns. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that still didn't work. So they're still technically not illegal in this country. Yeah. Please don't get a lobotomy. If this didn't turn you off, just just Google images. Could you even go and request? I don't right, even, like who like, would do that? But it's interesting because I'm pretty sure EST is still used. It is, but they've they've really evolved um, EST a lot to be m- way more safe. Like they do it in, in much yeah. lower doses now. Yeah, so it's it's definitely uh, not quite as traumatic and scary as it used to be. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a way to do that with lobotomies. No, I don't think so at all. No. Definitely not. No. So, okay. all right. Well, so that's that's that on lobotomies. And we, uh, since this is a Stranger Things podcast, we got to bring it back. <laughs> so, <laughs> nah. nah. So, uh, you know, obviously the connection here is, of course, Mr. Clark is talking about Phineas's gate. Phineas Gage's case um, in Phineas's, Phineas's Gage, Gage his, his Gage, Mr. G. And <laughs> and uh, that's, I believe, supposed to be kind of a nod to what is happening to Will. He's about to get possessed. Yes. He is about to start changing. You know, obviously his personality changes quite a bit when he becomes possessed by the Mind Flayer. But even before his possession, his personality is changed from from mm-hmm. what had happened to him and i think that identity is a like i think we talked about identity in our season two overview as sort of like a, a theme and mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot of that in the connection between the phineas gage case and will he's kind of no longer will yeah. and even after that even moving on from from the possession of the mind flare and everything and moving into season three he is technically fine but he's still forever different right so that's kind of what it reminded me of in terms of stranger things i mean i just think like the whole story of phineas gage and then him not necessarily being like the catalyst but i guess sort of the catalyst to the lobotomy as a procedure and like an operation and it just all goes back to how the show Mm -hmm. handles 
mental illness and like i think a little bit of terry eyes and she's very much she's zombified but not for lobotomy reasons for the est reasons that's true i didn't even think about terry when i was doing this but yeah yeah you're right yeah so it's just it's like how how do we treat and handle people who have a mental health issue and will is like i also thought it was it occurred to me when you said that he fell on his back and convulsed like doesn't will do that when they burn yeah right doesn't he do that's like the creep one of the creepiest scenes in the show when they're in the field of pumpkins and does does it did they burn it is that when they're burning it and he yeah we'll see in whichever episode that is i don't know if it's probably i think it's dig dug i don't know yeah but yeah i'm just it just reminds that the whole thing is just back to what we've said a million times already it's just mental illness and how the show addresses it head on and tries to destigmatize it and it makes me see why the duffer brothers decided to introduce phineas mm-hmm. gage at all even if it was just in passing for like 45 seconds yes. i and i like coming away from this and learning all of this and you know i did know about lobotomies a little bit going into this but i didn't really know phineas's gate phineas oh my god i keep saying that phineas, <laughs> phineas gage's connection to it all um i didn't really know and you know yeah. now that you've said all that it kind of makes me wonder if they included the conversation about phineas gage in order to make us think about you know the the stigmas around mental health and pe- like changes mm-hmm. in people's mental health and the way that it used to be stigmatized and how it feels in a lot of ways that stranger things is sort of working actively working to challenge those stigmas yeah and obviously being impaled in this way is a trauma and it changes it changed his personality for like physical reasons but all of our characters are suffering trauma and all of their personalities are changing as a result of the trauma like it's not being impaled Mm -hmm. and having damage to your brain but Max's personality changes completely yeah. after season three. And Will's personality was changed and then gets changed even more. And I I'm, I started our Jancy episode and I put how we never get a baseline for Jonathan's personality because he is thrust into trauma immediately. True. So we don't know what Jonathan's personality is without Will's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Nancy, we see her baseline prior to trauma. So, like, True. all of these characters are suffering a trauma, not being impaled. And their personalities are changing as a result of the trauma. Yeah. So, beyond Will, I think the Phineas Gage metaphor is relevant, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, like, while you were talking about how, you know, they didn't incur physical trauma to the mm-hmm. brain witnessing or being being exposed to any sort of trauma in your life is kind of damaging to your brain especially if you're a that kid, too yeah which most of our characters are so that's it's yeah again super cool that the duffer brothers chose to include phineas gage in this conversation because i think that we do have a lot to learn about the way that trauma can affect the brain whether that trauma is physical or not so Overall, yeah, I just think it's really important to learn about this stuff as kind of tragic and uh, sometimes gross. It, it can be, um, in the case of Phineas Gage, at least. And it's obscure. Right, too. it is. It's, it's obscure. And I think it's important to know, though, because it's important to remember 
how dangerous it is to stigmatize mental health. Like it can mm-hmm. literally be deadly and it has been deadly for years and years. And it's important also to remember those who could not advocate for themselves and who were basically just erased from society without a choice in the matter. So, yeah, you know, it's an important topic to talk about, but it also really connects to Stranger Things and uh, life in general. It does. And you get the contrast between how Dr. Freeman is handling mental illness and how Dr. Brenner is handling mental (laughs) illness and how Sam Owens is learning to handle mental illness and like accepting something like a PTSD as a diagnosis and not thinking this has to be religious or we have to perform a lobotomy or we have to use electroshock therapy like it's we within stranger things and like if you take phineas gage Mm. right and you take all the history from this episode and then you think about it in the context of stranger things you have like a timeline of how the mentally ill were handled and like you can see it change and like sam owens trying to wrap his brain around how to help will not knowing how to help him, but also knowing that these other solutions are not solutions. Right, that's true, because, you know, the the lobotomy stopped, honestly, not too long before the events of the show. 67. So, like, Elle was born, what did we say, in 71? So not that long. And Owens and Brenner would have been probably, more so Owens, I would assume, but they would have been studying this. Like, in med school, they might have even learned how to perform them. Right, why the heck not? Because they are probably, what, in their 50s? Yeah, seems like it. Maybe early 60s even? Yeah. For right, Owens? so my guess is that they went to medical school probably in, like, the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, so really interesting. If not earlier, yeah. it is. It's, like, you got to take it all into consideration because there's just a reason why Phineas Gage was plopped into the polywog. There, There's, like, totally yes. a reason. And, uh, yeah, so I, I really like that we were able to bring that full circle and kind of see the ways that that reflected and just the the stigmas that the Duffer brothers do tend to try to challenge which I enjoy Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 10 out of 10 well not like content not (laughs) not the the lobotomy part (laughs) not the lobotomy part or the so no um if you're interested I can maybe link this document with all these photos in it in the in the bio I said bio again. I meant the info, the description of the episode, not the bio. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah, that's all we got for this week for our Curiosity Door episode. We hope you enjoy it and that you learned something. And as always, our cited sources will be linked in in the description. And I have to do that. I will link. I'm really bad at it. (laughs) And I will link the uh, image document I shared with Marina, and we will probably post some of these right before this episode drops. At least the ones of Phineas himself. I don't know if I'm going to post the other ones, but definitely the ones of Phineas. Yeah, maybe maybe not the ice picks. (laughs) No, we don't need that. All right, everybody. Well, till next time, stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall.